This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the CT Startup Podcast. We are down in Stanford, finally. Uh, we've been trying to get this together all year, but uh, obviously uh, the summer got away from us a little bit. Um, but we are down here um, at the uh, technology, um, the tip center down at UConn. And we are with uh, one of the companies that is part of the program. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. So Wendy Ward is uh, the CEO, Chief Everything Officer, as we were just kind of talking about. <laughs> Chief Everything Officer. Um, uh, for Futures Thrive, all right? And it's something that has been very um, on top of people's minds, I think, that this past year. Yep. A lot of people have been reevaluating uh, their mental health and what's kind of going on in their mind and so forth. And even thinking about that towards the youngers uh, right. and, and the people, um, our children, which for me, it's a big thing nowadays um, because I am a new parent and really trying to think about that, right? So this is going to be a good podcast. Uh, hopefully I learn a lot. So Thank Wendy, you. can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what Futures Thrive is all about? So um, my name is Wendy Ward. I grew up in Connecticut, so I've been here a very long time. Um, I spent the better part of my career in sales until my husband and I had a child who suffered an undiagnosed mental health condition. And, you know, that was, we're coming up on 10 years and things are positive and good, but it set me into a personal mission to figure out what is this mental health thing. Um, and, and truly what started to stem out of our own situation was this is so easy. We can do this. There's so many solutions. There's so many things that we can do. Why aren't we doing it? Um, so I, I started out in the school system. I, nobody really knew what was going on in our personal life. Just saying, hey, we should teach social emotional learning and um, let's be a champion for that. And about seven years into championing just emotional conversation, um, Brene Brown likes to say that the top three emotions that Americans have are happy, mad, and pissed. Um, so <laughs> I decided we could go a little deeper than that. Um, but I became a go-to person for a lot of parents to say, what are you doing? How can I do that? Um, I do have two younger daughters who were going through elementary school at the time, and they were just sort of a beacon of being able to speak their speak their ways, which, by the way, now that they're teenagers, that's not necessarily oh, oh, a great thing. <laughs> they're really <laughs> but, speaking their ways, yeah, right? They really know exactly <laughs> what they're feeling, and they tell you. But in the end, um, I decided on the side of my sales job, I would start a nonprofit and we were servicing parents who had kids who had issues. But it was really gnawing on me because we weren't getting to the heart of the problem. So I took a step back from that and realized, you know, many anecdotally, but also in all of my research, parents don't know what they don't know. Well, why don't they know it? Because we don't start it early. So um, if you look at uh, um, hearing problems and vision problems and all the things that really, really, really stunt development, we start them early. Where do we start them? At the pediatric office. You said, you, yep, you know, yep. you're, you're parent, I was, I was like, just, right? I was they just there. I was early, just going right? through there. Like, yeah, sure. So we do everything in the well-child visit except for a mental health check. Mm -hmm. um, yet there's so many opportunities for us to do that. So that's how I got to where I got to. Um, I love what I do. It's really empowering um, and it's really filled with possibility. Mm -hmm. 
So let's go back to the, the, you know, the moment that kind of this kicked it off. Like you obviously, yeah. for most of us in our lives, we have a moment that kind of, oh my God, this is affecting me so much uh, for the ambitious out of us or the people that maybe, you know, kind of are just thinking about how to solve something. We're like, wow, there's an opportunity here, right? right. So like, okay, you noticed it in your, in your uh, child, right? Yep. How did you kind of connect the dots between like how you were brought up and, and kind of thinking about kind of like how you... Um, like mental health wasn't a big thing that I thought about when 20 years ago. Now, I mean, I'm only 33. So like, right. me, you know, going thinking about eighth grade and all that. <laughs> kind of, I mean, it's actually kind of interesting. 9-11, right? Is right. 20. I know exactly I where there. I was in eighth grade. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things where that whole process, like there was a lot going on and, and, and so mental health and everything like that. So how did you like, what was the first steps you took to say, listen, I'm going to go address this problem. And like, like, was it, or did, so, was it a long time? Kind of No, like a no, long... it was totally accidental is right. what it boiled down to. So my sister, it, um, sort of everything, you know, came to a head in October, November, the whatever, 10 years ago. And at Christmas, my sister sent us this toy that was a tool and it had little pillows attached to it that had an emotion on one side and a face on the other. And our daughters at the time were very young, three and four. And so they just really... They just used them to communicate all the time. I meant to bring my brave with me because usually I carry brave with me. But um, so I realized through them that this was possible if we can take things that are truly out there and make them tangible. So I started doing this in the classroom because people asked me to, hey, could you come in and could you do a lesson on this and could you do a lesson on that? And it morphed from there. Um, and it, I really became passionate about it because I saw that it was so possible to give kids these tools and that when they started to suffer, they could communicate. But here were some of the really important factors. Kids don't communicate the way adults do. No way. So it, they do not. Really? They really? do not. I mean, some kids, so, some kids are like, listen, you're talking to me. Right. Too, like you're talking to me a little crazy <laughs> right now. But So we have to say feelings fuel behavior, right? So if they're throwing down in the bank because they want the lollipop and it's eight o'clock in the morning, it's a very specific example because it may have happened to me. <laughs> um, that, you know, we have to say, okay, wait, they're communicating. And we want as a society to go to straight to the behavior and say, this is behavior isn't. So you asked me about my childhood. Here's the simple answer. We don't talk about our feelings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I am the antithesis of my family and doing this work has, has really been very fun because you know, that's just, it's who I am, but I love empowering kids to tell me how they feel because in my sales life and my sales career, I always had this theory of admit or they won't move on. So, um, you mean I, admit like the, the fault the in the product in the or, or there's something that right? the reason like, why they're not if you're buying trying to or, sell yep. something that yep. is like the wrong color and the wrong size until you say to the prospective client, it's the wrong color, it's the wrong size, but here are all of its benefits. They're just stuck on the wrong color and the wrong size. Right. So we have to. So I started to see that in kids. I'm like, wow, once they admit something like I'm really mad that Johnny pushed me off the slide, then they move on. Otherwise, they hold it. And I mean, you probably see this in your young kids. Right? Well, like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, listen, he yeah, he's not even two yet. Right. And you're noticing <laughs> stuff and right. you're noticing again. And it's one of those things. Actually, I, I'll go back to sleeping. Right. Because yeah. my, my child slept great. Um, uh, We looked we took a couple of courses online about like what it means to, to be a, a kid. Like they have a four hour cycle. And the right. reason why they're crying is because of one of three things. They're tired. Yep. 
they're hungry or they have a dirty diaper. Yeah. Like that's literally the reason. So if you put it into that context, we're like, oh, every time they cry, I'm like, okay, what's what, what three of the right. issues are we doing? Let, let's move on and right. get it. And he, he is great. So it, it, evolving, you know, I, I'm, I'm noticing that for right. sure. Um, and especially now that he's getting sick because of daycare and yada, right. yada, which is, which is hilarious now. Like, right. it, you know, the, you say parents don't know what they don't know. It's just like getting, by the way, getting some advice from our parents or our grandparents. You're just like, you can't do that nowadays. Right. <laughs> like, no, you can't because the advice is old and outdated. Right. But you would not have a problem on the soccer field saying, you know, he hurt his arm. Does he need physical therapy? You would not have a problem going to the no, doctor and saying, you know, I don't think he's hearing me quite right because I say ice cream and he comes running for something else. And, you know, like you, you wouldn't have a problem. We don't talk about it when it comes to mental health. Yep. And we look at what is the superficial marker, which is the behavior. So to that end, um, the science is really clear that we, we know signs and symptoms can start as young as the age of four. Um, we know that half of all lifetime cases start before the age of 14, and yet we still don't have a regular, um, pediatric practice of assessing for mental health. And so when you say like it, it starts before 14, you know, like you think mental health, like mental like, health concerns, so concerns. anxiety, okay, depression, okay, okay. ADHD, yep. Um, and there are some illnesses that can start, bipolar can start. I mean, there are things that we can see and we're looking at it in how can I just make Johnny do his math? And it's not that, right? So uh, if you heard 10 parents talk about their stories, they would all have a very similar thread, which is we didn't know what we didn't know until we had to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was our scenario. And I, I look at it and go, I'm not a unique person. I mean, I fathom myself as being kind of fun, but at the end (laughs) of the day, I'm not unique. My story is not any different, although the specifics of it might be different from one parent to the next. So you say you, you, you went into school. So that was with your nonprofit or is that with future? That was just on the side for fun. Neither one of them. It was just, let me see, you know, how I can offer my volunteer, you know, hours, um, the nonprofit, we was outside of the schools and it was really just for parents. Again, I kind of went back to my nine thoughts in how I created Future Strive was parents don't know what they don't know. We have to educate two generations at the same time. We can't educate kids and expect parents to come along. We can't educate parents and expect them to know what to do with kids. We really have to get at this fast and furious. Why do I say that? Mm-hmm. Because in 2000, the Surgeon General at the time stated for the first time ever that mental health was important to our overall health. And at that time, they cited one in five Well, people will have a diagnosable mental health condition. The statistics haven't changed. We've spent millions and millions of awareness campaign dollars. We've put so much money into this issue, and albeit not as much as we put into other things. But nothing's changed. I'm not okay with that. And I, I don't think anybody else should be for, either. For some reason, I, I would expect it actually to have gone up. For, for like for some reason. So COVID like, you know. has exacerbated it. There's no doubt statistics yeah. are spiking. If you talk to anybody who works in a hospital system, you know, I could... That's probably another podcast yeah, like for another like, day. Yeah, I know, like I, I, have, I have family and friends who are in the addiction industry right. and like that's, I mean, that has been growing and not, not in a good way. You know, like that's not a good thing that it's growing. Right. Um, I guess it is that people are getting treatment, but you know, you get what I'm saying. But. Well, so to the, again, to that point, why are we trying to solve episodes 
right? So you don't want the addict to to um, to uh, not stay sober, right? Like you want them to stay sober, but we look at it, and this is a really great point societally, like, okay, we, we don't want them to end up in the ER again. We don't want them to end up in, you know, the rehab again. But wait, what if we took a total step back? What if we started assessing them at the age of four in a gamified platform like 21st century kids yep. do? They sit on a tablet. They play a game. What if we knew and and we've modeled our, um, our sales plan through the pediatric office because uh, public school, actually ironic with COVID, um, mandates immunizations. So on, on the immunization track right? You Mm -hmm. would have four to five mental health screenings before a child started suffering between the ages of 12 and 14, before the behavior became such that you, you really had to treat it. What if I said to you, your son's always been a little bit worried. We see a spike in his worry. It's now anxiety. It's on an anxiety scale and there's treatment available to you. And here's how we can do that super easily. That's very different than Mm -hmm. the school calling you, telling you no one wants your kid in the classroom because he is um, episodic and he 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 bursts out in anger and and no one. Right. Like, I mean, we kind of laugh, but it happens on a daily basis all over America. Yep. So when you say treatment, is that is it behavioral? Is it actual? Because like ADHD, like I just think about, I mean, something like like I guess ADD and ADHD medicine started becoming a little more prevalent when I was in school. So like 20 years ago and just like, here you go, here you go. And it's just like that didn't solve anything because, you know, right? (laughs) because long before we were in severe and we were looking at solving crisis, Mm -hmm. there's mild and moderate. And what we could do as a society and what we could do placed in all things prevention and early intervention in the well child visit is we could offer a toolbox to parents, right? So when they start talking to you about the height and weight of your child, they don't go straight to, we've got to put them in fat camp. Right. Like, I know that's not really a thing (laughs) anymore, but that's not where we go to. We go to maybe they need to join a sport or how they should exercise. A lot of those tools are available in the world of mental health. I mean, a lot of there are a lot of different mild and moderate tools that could be um, offered to parents if they knew what they needed to know. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of interesting because being a new parent. Right. It's I mean, so first off. It changes you, right? It's like they they they, 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 they they tell you they tell you like you, <laughs> like you can't t- you can't tell people how it really changes you until you have a child and all right, that kind of stuff. Right. But it's very interesting because, and especially now with COVID and thinking about again, I'm I'm so like so glad that I had a baby during COVID. Very right. stressful, not being able to bring around family, all that kind right. of stuff. Um, but you got to spend more time with them, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the factors of it. I'm glad that they're not a little bit older because they're not in school and then didn't deal with some of those kind kind of a things, right? Yeah. Or didn't get lost. I mean. If I was in high school and COVID happened, like, listen, I had a tough time as it was in high high school staying attention and everything like that. Um, And so um, what I'm getting at is that I can see that my son, um, I can teach him things, right? Right. I can, I can, you know, when he falls, if I react, he reacts different. Yep. So I let him react first before I react, right? And so it's like one of some of those things where, and so... When you say you go after, you educate both the parent and the child, right? right? How does the, so does your gamified platform like train the parent? 
to, to do this so, kind of stuff? Like, you know, yes so I'm getting no. into, okay. Yes and no. So if I'm doing my job right, yeah. we're not just a tech tool because no healthcare system <laughs> is interested in yet <laughs> yeah, another yeah, tech yeah. tool, right? Like, let's just call a spade a spade, the elephant yeah, in the room. Okay. Okay, so we're a tech tool, which is a means to a conversation, okay. right? So means to education. So at that point, if I wasn't having the, the, the proper vision and I didn't have 20-20, a pediatrician's going to take the time to tell my mom, hey, you know, her vision is adjusted slightly. You still don't run out to get glasses. You wait, right? Um, so we start to monitor things and watch things. And at the point that you're monitoring and watching it as a parent, you're like, okay, I'm wise to this. My eyes are open. I know something yep. can go wrong. Then you get to a point where the child isn't functioning. Okay. So mental health is a lot about functioning. There are three spheres of a child's life. There's school, there's social, and there's home life. Many, many, many times they can function in one of those spheres, but not two of those spheres, right? So you start to get wise to it. So as a parent, you start to learn, oh, okay, well, you know, they will, they'll never leave the house unless they're coming with me. And then they don't like to go to the birthday parties. And, oh, now I'm adding it up differently. Okay, so that's your mm -hmm. education yep. vehicle. And it's soft education. It's early. It's often. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And then in my model... We have a mental health practitioner who's fully available to the practice. So one of the things that I did in saying, how can we make a business out of this is I wrote a very long list on my own experience and many that I had heard of the list of barriers to treatment, mm -hmm. right? So a tool is only great if it connects you to care. So doing that full 360, our main goal is really to connect to care. And so at the acute level, when it gets at, to that point, right? At or the like, functioning level, which could be mild or moderate, right? Okay. Like there, if you look at functioning and you say, okay, well, they won't go to the birthday party. Okay, that's fine. This is a, this is a mild issue. We can solve that, mm -hmm. right? And then it grows. And so as it's growing, you're saying, okay, well, we've watched this for a few years. Now we need to get them some treatment. How can we get them treatment? So within the model is connection to care that's really, truly available. Okay. Okay. So like where, so like healthcare and mental health, like I, I'm just thinking studies, right. And, and kind of getting the data and, and right. you got to evaluate them. And with children, again, <laughs> I am not, not to the stage of puberty and I would go in like that and right. what that does and, right. and this and that. And, and so, there is puberty onset and, mental yeah, illness. And, oh, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of stuff happening right now where, um, people are just more, I mean, just confused in general, just in, right. in a lot of different ways uh, with a lot of things happening. I mean, I still, I still have a debate with my father sometimes that he's like, he's like, my time was the greatest time ever to live. And it's like, it's like, listen, you're not, not that, not, you know, well, I was like, well, I still believe this is the greatest time to live, you know, cause right. you know, everything going on, but yes, we have more access to, to information and right. just things are going on and, and so forth. So it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, with your, with your, with your model, how do the like the kids act, other than like it being the game how do the kids actually raise their hand and say i want to do this is it so, like a volunteer is it like like right. an opting in no, no no it's not so so this is a great so this is a great question so covid has created this wild opportunity and i've never been busier in my entire life <laughs> a lot of people say that so oh, for oh, for a couple reasons i think there was a turning point where doctors realized their own mental health was actually at stake and so their openness so and this is no fault of anybody's own. It's a system that we've set up. Doctors and teachers don't have to take mental health classes to enter their profession, right? So it is what it is, right? It's kind of like nutrition. They barely right. have to take a nutrition right. course. Yeah. It, right? So 
Um, there was a point at which uh, a, a group of doctors put together a call to the government to say, we actually need our own mental health care taken care of. And I forget the bill that they put forward because it was like a year ago. But um, in that, I think there was a turning point where doctors were willing to talk about mental health like they had never been before. Um, and the other thing that happened was I was able to get on the phone with people all over the country that never would have taken a meeting with me because I wasn't going to fly to their office and show up for a meeting in face, right? Yep. So we have been talking to doctors and leaders in the industry for two straight years. It's so amazing what they say. So um, yes, a lot of it has to be data-driven. The questions are kind of the easy thing because it's not like there aren't assessments out there. There are assessments out there, but most of them focus on severe. So what we set out to do is advance what exists. So two, three ways we did that. One is we put it into a fun format, which is the game platform. Um, kids would get it on an annual basis in their well-child visit or in schools on a routine basis through like reading assessments, math assessments. They sit down, they take a 10-minute game on a mental health assessment, and the schools can tell, are they prepared to learn today? Okay? So that's kind of how kids get it. Um, a doctor could see that a child was suffering and they could implement it more often than they needed to. Um, so, so there's, um, there's that end of it, the data, we ran the questions through a number of different doctors and then we ran it through kids and I tell people that and I'm like, we're kid approved and it's sort of funny, but it is true because kids said, we don't talk like that. Right. And go back to kids don't talk like yeah, yeah, we talk yeah. to So they changed some of the words and we just closed off another question set that we had had out there in the, in the universe and we had about 100 kids go through it, and they said, you know, basically they, they answered certain things and didn't answer certain things. But the method of questioning is very different. It's a scale, one to five, on a scale of one to five, five being the happiest, how happy are you, Eric, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then we ask a follow-up question. What makes you happy? Okay, well, you know what? The excitement of my new baby's coming, right? That makes me happy. Yep. And then it's if there was one thing that could make you happier, what would it be? And then you're going to say a good night's sleep, right? So we get the context behind it. The future of the product is then also be um, collecting nonverbal data, right? So we... We applied for a National Science Foundation grant, and that is for a video version of the assessment where the child is then giving us facial markers and voice intonation. Like you might sort of have droopy eyes, right? When you're saying, I want a good night's sleep yep. because you've got... Because you're tired. Yeah, super little ones. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that that's kind of um, the generation of it all. Interesting. So, so again, so thinking about like, is this going through the school system, through the doctor? Like, how is this actually? Because you say you're, you know, the model right now is working with the the doctor's office yeah. and kind of using that as an assessment tool, right? It, In it's the more child like, okay. visit. Yep. Yeah. So schools and doctors' offices work closely together, and schools are seeing it, and it's well documented and reported that kids will refuse to go to school with a stomach ache that really doesn't exist and their mental health issues. And uh, we've got I, yeah, bullying I, issues, we... right? Like every time I talk to an adult, they're like, yeah, that was kind of me, right? So if you think about it and you go back and go, wow, if I had a vehicle, our prototype is ages 9 to 14. That's that tween year. It's We're just starting to dignify the amount of development that happens before you're a teenager. 
Um, and so imagine if you could just type into a little form that said, I hate school because I get bullied, right? Like it's all well and good that we can take a kid that acts out. We know hurt kids, hurt kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I go to school, I'm getting bullied. So I turn around and sock someone in the nose. You can put me in therapy if you want, but if you keep putting me back next to the bully at the lunch table, nothing's going to change. And and first off, most people have experienced some sort of bullying in their lives right. from and and sometimes it's within their friend group. <laughs> you right. know it is within like and it's like you're it's like the person <laughs> that I you keep sending me to their house to play because right. I'm I'm not <laughs> or actually not like Right. <laughs> right. And you're you know and then you speak up and you say I don't want to go over there anymore. And mom says, but you know what? That's my friend too. So we need to go. And again, I go back to kids don't talk the way we talk as adults. So if we taught parents, one of the tools in the toolbox is listen for how they're speaking, ask more questions. Um, I would tell you arguably the best question you could ever have with little kids is how did that make you feel? Um, I remember early, early, early on, um, in my social emotional learning days, this woman, I told her to go out and buy this tool that had been given to me called Komochi's and, and she went out and she bought them and she texted me Christmas morning. And I'm thinking, what is she texting me Christmas morning for? And she said, um, I was so frustrated with my daughter because she was acting like a spoiled brat. And here I'd given her all these Christmas presents and, you know, I'm thinking, why isn't she grateful? And so we went to the bag of emotions and she pulled out and she said she was so overwhelmed that she didn't know which toy to choose because she loved them all too much. And, and the mom was like, I never would have gotten to that. So basically she overwhelmed her with like choices. <laughs> Right, which is like, okay, there's a good and a bad there too. But I'm just saying, like, imagine you're saying, God, you know, you're so ungrateful. You're solving X over here when it's truly Y. Aren't you as a parent going to do better and have a better interaction with your child and a better correction period with yeah. your child with more information? So, again, going down to the absolute basics of why I created Futures Thrive was we will all do better with more information. And so can we get that information? Yes, we can. Kids want to talk. Believe it or not, they want to talk. And they want to tell you in their own language. And should we be getting that information? Can it be actionable and help us? Absolutely. We should be getting it because we have kids who are struggling and we have families who are struggling and we could be solving problems so much earlier and, and avoiding the crises. And, and long term, my goal is what if homelessness rates dropped what if addiction rates dropped what if kids knew that they had anxiety before they ever took the drink as a medication what if incarceration rates dropped like what if we really started affecting things and 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 what would that look like in society i mean it's a long-term thing it's a, it's it's one of those things where it, no it's not <laughs> and it's it's i mean some some cynics are going to you know you know, they're not, those organizations really don't really want to solve it. Cause then, you know, they, then it's the problem just keeps perpetuating. And right. it does for some people, it does seeming like it's getting worse. A mm -hmm. lot of these problems are getting worse. Homelessness seems to be getting worse almost, you know, right. nationwide, uh, addiction rates, um, to meet somebody almost addiction is kind of like cancer at this point and, and not in a good way where it seems like, you know, somebody you right. have a, you have a personal connection to it. Right. Um, I know for me, I would say to maybe, so Again, I'm 33. Ten years ago, um, I would say not everybody kind of grew up or you know, had addiction in their life, and and the mental health that came along. And that's, for me, I guess um, I've I've had family friends been been around the addiction kind of industry, right. 
because they had a you know uh, they're on the other side of it now, but because they went through it, and it's interesting is that that's how I uh, that was mental health kind of right. that that was the that was the 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 end goal. You got into rehab, and now you can focus on your mental right. health, right? And now it's now it's yeah now <laughs> and now it's kind of one of those things where you know fast forward twenty years and fifteen years right. is that almost everybody can point to somebody that again overdosed this that right. the other thing right, and so it's easier right. to talk about the stigmas going away. So it's a little bit. I mean. Stigma is going away in the sense that we can all talk about it if it's other people, not if it's still like for some well, people. And so- if it's socially acceptable, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, like ADHD, yeah. you know, for, for argument's sake, it's socially acceptable. Major depressive disorder and suicidal thoughts is not acceptable, right? So interesting that you bring up cancer. Here's what I'll say about that. Um, I don't know, two, three decades ago, uh, a lot of research went into childhood cancer. I was watching a story yesterday, and I did a lot of research on this because um, like Mental Health America does have a before stage four campaign, right? Because why are we treating mental health when we're at stage four, right? We would never treat cancer that way. We want to get to cancer. We do all this preventative work to make sure we don't get to straight, right? So I think it was like 80 or 90% of childhood cancer um, uh, cases, those kids would die. With very treatable cancer, they would all die. So I was watching this story yesterday, and I just am so like energized by this story because this girl had cancer as a child, and she just entered med school. And the first thing she did was take a picture of herself and send it to her doctor. And they did an interview with the doctor and the mom. And the doctor said, I remember diagnosing this teeny little three-year-old with cancer. And the mom grabbing me by the lapels and saying, and I have chills just saying it, saying, we will be at her wedding. And he said, this is why I do this, right? Like, you're never going to win over all the cynics. But we are witnessing the first generation of kids who had cancer now here we are whatever 20 years later going out into the world and participating and giving back in such a healthy productive way it's possible with mental health mm-hmm. we just have to get on board so so on the the kind of the thread of that that uh, mother being like we're gonna we're gonna see this through we're gonna get to that other side yeah so to me like that person mentally was like i'm i'm ready for the challenge Bring I'm it ready. On. like let's go right <laughs> so so i'm gonna just two-part question one okay. from a, from a from the kid's standpoint but then i'm gonna go to you and as the, the founder and, and kind of doing the business side of it is that like where does grittiness come come through because you know like and where does the idea of you need to have challenge in your life. You need to be able to overcome it. How to like, cause, cause I do feel as if that okay. sometimes, um, again, I know I was challenged all throughout my, my, uh, high school, uh, and college career. I put myself in different scenarios, good and bad, you know, kind of a thing. Um, but I look back and I know like every time a challenge comes up to my mind, I'm just like, okay, well I beat this one. I did that one. Right. Like I can, we can handle this out. It's literally the famous line of my, my family is like, we'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> like we'll, we'll right. figure this thing out. Right. Um, Love that. So, so like where does that fit into like, okay. cause the mental health of, of the children, you know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. I know grittiness is like a, a big thing nowadays, you know, resilience, grit, resilience right. all that kind of stuff. So I guess like, how does that fit into okay. your, so awesome question because there is brand new research that's coming out to talk specifically to this. So right. anecdotally yeah. we know it, right? There's the kid who comes out of the slums and, you know, gives back to small towns and he's like super amazing and makes it, makes it, makes Mm -hmm. it right. 
Um, but now there's science behind that. So there, for many, 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 many years, there's been adverse childhood experiences study that talked about 10 things that happened to you in childhood that are dire. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's positive childhood experiences study, which weighs out if you have adverse childhood experiences and positive childhood experiences, mm-hmm. what wins, yep. right? So there is science that shows that you could have up to four adverse childhood experiences. And if you have a certain set of positive childhood experiences, your resilience will be stronger than the person who had no adverse childhood experiences. So that's to say we do need some stress in our life. It's called you stress. Yep. Um, but we know certain things are toxic stress, right? So food insecurity or homelessness we talked Mm. about. So those things are toxic stress. Your nervous system is constantly on guard. Um, arguably coming out of COVID, all of our nervous systems are just trying to come off of being on guard. Um, so to, to that end, yes, we do need some stress. And I think once we start to talk about it and reframe it in a really positive way, especially through this aces and pieces, adverse and positive, we really can see, we don't want to wipe away everything that our kids have to go through. There's some level of suffering that has to happen. Mm -hmm. But if something really bad happens, actually having one parent who's highly involved in your life, who knows your friends and knows your life is gold right just gold Hmm. and so when parents know that you know putting the phone down when they come home after school and letting them go through the i mean my kids still come home and they just like a charging train hear all the things that happened today by the way be warned they all talk at the same time like they don't like see each other (laughs) talking they all have the same need at the same time but um but yeah, I mean, I think, I hope that answers your question. I think that actually we're going to start to see in the coming years that the science shows us that resilience is built by having some hard things happen, but when epically hard things happen, that can be overcome. Yeah. And and that is the thing is that I, I didn't want to downplay like, you know, um, that, or you just want to have bad things happen to you kind of thing. It's yeah. more, it's more just the, the fact that, you know, you can't get, cause like, it's not going to stop. There's always yeah. a moment in time in your life as you grow older that things can go wrong. Like yeah. <laughs> everything can go wrong in a, in a moment's notice. Right. right. Um, and so, so going to, you know, on the threat of COVID and, and kind of uh, obviously you were building your business during COVID right. and, and the, the past couple of years. Um, I know for me as an entrepreneur, somebody who's been in kind of like a, the chaos of starting a business. Um, <laughs> when COVID hit, I kind of felt eerily at home. I was like, okay, like let's, <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening? Like, what do we do? Like, how do we adjust? Uh, like, I, I came out of COVID being like, I wish I did more. Like, right. I was like, I was like, I, I squandered this opportunity. You know how many opportunities right. there were this time? And so like, that's, and you know, that's with me having a kid, having a job, having a business. Like, you know, the, I think so the you did thing, a few things. Yeah, so I yeah, think yeah. You're good. The funny thing is that again, that's, but again, that's as an entrepreneur, we're always hard on ourselves. We want to push right. ourselves, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, that, so for, for you doing this, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome to, to get, uh, to kind of get to this point? What were some of the bigger, well, so like where, right. where were some of the pivot marks in, in right. your, in your business? Um, so a couple things. Um, I have worked from home for the last 10 years. So working from home was no big deal for me. Actually, the overcoming there was everybody in my office. I'm like, whoa, you guys all need to go away. (laughs) This this is my this is my office, everybody. (laughs) Like this is like (laughs) Um, so there was that. But we got through um, because we, you know, had to navigate um, fuzzy waters before. So we so we were all right. Um, 
At first, it was eerily quiet, and I just decided to do more education, go back into research and figure it out. Um, And then, you know, getting connected into the Yukon um, ecosystem, I think, really was a pivotal point. I was introduced to uh, uh, Christine Sullivan, who is basically my business manager. I mean, my right arm. She works through the um, State of Connecticut Small Business um, Business. uh, whatever, uh, small business, what am I I'm losing the name of it? SBDC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Development Center. Yeah. Thank you. Um, anyway, so she was wonderful. We started to work together and she sort of pumped me in that this is necessary. And, and actually watching her come along and saying, oh, do we really need this? Right. Cause that's what every entrepreneur is, you know, first question, do we really need this? Does this really <laughs> solve a problem beyond you? Um, so we started to get through that and then conversations just started to open up. So I will say being involved, having grown up in the state of Connecticut and then starting a business thinking, all right, I'm not getting paid. Well, I guess I should use my tax dollars wisely. You know, taxpayers pay for these services. They are truly invaluable. Um, CT next, I applied through a grant for them, um, they, they got me a grant writer, which helped us apply to the National Science Foundation, which never would have happened yep. because that's like giving birth to a child on, you know, in and of itself, um, putting together pitch plans, all of that, like the business end of it. It's great to go out there and say, I have this really great idea. Um, but going out and getting the partners to do it and finding the pilot relationships and, you know, learning how to truly commercialize it in the healthcare space on top of it, all of those were going to be challenges that I would say were completely softened through the, the Yukon ecosystem. Um, and now here we are, right? We're a tip or the technology incubator. I'm not a tech person. I mean, I've always laughed and said, I failed computer programming in college. I I mean, legitimately don't understand it. Um, but you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like, well, what do you know about time? And I've had people quiz me about Chinese tech and I'm like, okay, I can school myself to a certain point and learn (laughs) a lot. But if you want me to program this, I'm not doing it in my garage. Those days I think are quite gone. It'll be a unique kid who can come up and do that. Um, But to truly solve some issues, you know, I'm a salesperson, right? So that's what you want at the helm of a company, right? You want a salesperson. I I was was going to say, you you, you mentioned that you were a a salesperson before and like that's at your, you run your own little book, right? You're running, you're, you're trying, you're you're trying to convince people you're selling them, you know. Right. So we get to the product, we get to the education vehicle and we get to the connection to care. And what do you need? You need the person to wrap all that up and say, you have to have this and you're not leaving my office without it. I will say I am so, so grateful that in COVID and, you know, trying to grow my team, I have a highly involved advisory. I have um, many doctors in different fields, you know, helping to inform the work and um, and also my tech person who happens to be my sister, who happens to be you know, head of a leading tech company is like, you know, there are people that you can fill in gaps um, for, but when it comes to being a founder, I don't think anyone can ever fulfill the amount of energy it takes to wake up every single day, <laughs> be told no, you know, be told. And, and, that, and to that end, I've spent two years of, you know, highs and lows, you know, super entrepreneurial roller coaster. Um, we still have 
financial you know gaps to fill we need to get some investment we are in the process of developing the tool which is so exciting i mean i wish i had visuals because i could show the images and the games and that kind of stuff because it, it really jazzes you up um but but no i think um i think covid has been oddly good for creating a company like future strive yeah because uh, you know Obviously, you did not start this with a two or three year kind of turnaround time or no. timeline. You're like, you know, <laughs> any anything again, anything uh, in the medical industry, mental health, whatever. Like right. it's a long term thought, regardless. Um, and so, yeah, the the first two years gave you a little bit of different timing, you know. And, yeah. and with businesses, um, timing is half the battle. Um, yeah. With my business, we had conversations during COVID of shutting down and what right. did that mean and this and that. And then being, it's very interesting. Is that um, for some people? Being, um, you saw you can have a different relationship with your customers or partners. Like you said, I, can, right. I don't have to go to their office. Right. They're, they're open to different conversations. Everybody's kind of open to trying something new because you have to. Right. Like we, we want to kind of, it's it's like if we don't come out of this period envisioning the world we want to have and, right. instead of just settling for right. what we have, like we, we've lost, we, we lost the lesson of what we would just went through. Right. <laughs> and I would arguably say that in many ways as an entrepreneur, it sort of redefined friends and family because my <laughs> network got so big so quickly. But like I have an advisor who I speak to every two weeks every three weeks um we have an you know an hour conversation we vet things we go back and forth in between i've never met her i can't wait to get to texas and go down there and hug her yep. and she's been so vital to growing the business and and making introductions and i would consider her friends and family at this point yep. um i didn't know her from adam before covid so Listen, not to downplay all of the hard things that have happened to everyone during COVID. It's definitely been um, a time of eager anticipation that's not necessarily always good, right? I have two teenagers and watching the shoes drop over the years of like in and out of, you know, in school, out of school, all of the bouncing around and the wear a mask fights and the don't wear a mask fights. These kids are just in the middle of it. I go to bed every night worried for that kid who showed up in school in this September who hadn't seen a school building in 16 to 18 oh, months. The, the, the numbers of kids that just fell off the rosters is right. we're not, you don't hear those numbers because those are very scary numbers. <laughs> right. So that if, if I'm doing my work right and we get in the right partners, development can be done for this tool in November. And we could have this tool. We already have pilot partners set up and we're ready to go helping kids and families this year, um, which is huge. And, and that's what I worry about. I worry about even my own kids. Listen, I'm, I'm from Darien. Our kids were in and out of school. They were in school. We, we the school system did the best that they could do. And I, I realized the first day of school when my kids came home this year and with a, a small vision of normal, I watched fences drop. And I'm looking and going, if this is my kid, right, who I, yeah. I'm yeah. wildly in tune with mental health and they still had defenses high, we've got so much work to do. And I have a huge sense of urgency, not because of my business and because of my ideas and because of the team that I've put together, but because I know we can be, I mean, I go back to what we originally talked about. There's so much possibility to help people and it's really at our fingertips. 
Yep. And when solving a problem like this, um, it does take money. It does take time. It does take energy, um, uh, human capital, um, and, yeah. and, and, and another capital. Um, so it's, uh, there's no matter what, even if it was right. a nonprofit, you'd be figuring out your business model. And right. that's the thing what people have to realize is that we're just trying to figure out in a lot of these scenarios is just how to make it economically viable that we can right. reach as many people as possible with using as little as resources as possible. Right. Just, you know, so, so don't, don't hate on yourself to, even though you're going after a noble cause and, know. you know, if you, if you have to build <laughs> a business around it. I but, know. So. No, we have, we have, and, and it's been vetted over and over again. And, and again, I, I go back to a lot of that has to do with the Yukon ecosystem. The support I've been able to get within the state of Connecticut has, has really been pretty amazing. Um, and I'm super proud of what the state is doing when it comes to small businesses. And I feel super humbled that I get to be a part of it. And, uh, I think that's probably going to, where we're going to start wrapping up because honestly, this podcast, us talking here, um, the fact that we had been down to the, uh, tip in Farmington, uh, a few years ago. And, you know, for me, I went to CCSU, uh, mm -hmm. in New Britain. Um, you know, I graduated in 2010. So, you know, I got to think about it. I, li I like how I can talk in decades now, right? <laughs> like I'm an adult, right? Um, and so uh, the reason why I bring that up is that like these past 10 years have been amazing. Like it's been every year the state has gotten better and yeah. better at cultivating this uh, this ecosystem, uh, letting people kind of thrive. Um, again, uh, Mustafa, what he's done and moving yeah. around and, and, and uh, expanding the tip to different places around this, the state it's only gotten better. It takes time. Um, mm -hmm. I know I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm glad that, um, again, CT next and CI have been, uh, helping, uh, again, this program get up, and, uh, up and running has, has sponsored our podcast. Like there's almost every entrepreneur in the state of Connecticut that is connected has had some sort of resource or some sort of kind of helping hand from these right. organizations. And right. that's what, that's what we always hoped for, you know, uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, thinking about what Connecticut could be. Cause again, we have, Financially and and you know uh, money wise, capital wise, we have a lot of it in the state. We just have to deploy it against you know kind of innovation startups like uh, like yourself. So yeah. Um, so I do appreciate it. So uh, for our audience, what's the next step? How can people get involved? Can pe if people want to be a partner, pediatricians yeah. like schools, like what's how, how can they get in touch? So um so two things. We've got two tracks going on right now. Um, the finances is the easiest. We're looking for investors. Um, Connecticut Innovations actually did just invest the max amount for their prototype program, which is great. Um. We have a little bit more to raise to to finish development and and be able to really meet the um, the markers that we want to put a, an awesome product into the marketplace this year. Um, so we're looking for those. We are a um, angel credit tax uh, credit approved company, which means that because we're for profit, um, if you invest with us over twenty five thousand dollars, you're going to get twenty five cents on the dollar back. Yep through the state of Connecticut, that is transferable for investors outside of the state. There's a one-time transfer possibility. Um, so, so there's that end of it. So fundraising, partners, investments, awesome. Um, we also have data side of it. We're about to launch a new data set. We're going to put that out into the universe. And we need kids ages 9 to 14 to be able to run through the questions and give us feedback. So they answer the questions as they go through a Google form. We will then take those and the learnings from what we get from that and continue to hone in on our product as we inlay that into the game platform. Um, I shouldn't say th there's a third. I said two, but I lied. There's a third. 
Um, when we have this product ready to go, not if, but when we have this product ready to go, we are, um, we do have pilot partners in place, but we are looking for more pilot partners who have access to kids ages nine to 14, um, roughly fifth grade to ninth grade in the state of Connecticut. Um, so, and it doesn't have to be Connecticut. It can be anywhere, um, because we want kids, we'd like this to be as broad and wide as humanly possible. Um, so our aim is to do that. So we could easily talk to pilot partners, um, pediatric offices, school districts, whoever wants to get involved and have this at their fingertips, they will be getting really awesome data um, up like immediately. And the only thing I would say as sort of a closing remark is every time I talk to a parent who had a kid who went through this data set, they come back with sort of the same answer. Wow. I really, really, really learned a lot about my kid. Um, and while it's not meant to be a parent kid tool yet, we will get there. Um, it is an amazing learning opportunity to realize how your kid thinks and how they talk and what their words mean in their life. And that just, I sum it all up by saying, you know, we all as parents do better when we know more. Mm-hmm. Context is key sometimes. So, <laughs> Context is everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wendy, thank you very much uh, for uh, coming on and uh, telling us your story. And uh, we'll be hoping to uh, see more out of you in the future. Thank you very much. When I appreciate it. Podcast, Thank you. One Step in the Journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovation, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you.